Okay, so not only do I have a really, really good interview lined up for Wyatt Earp Part 2, but I also got this interview uh, last week at the very end of the week, is very last minute, and this interview is with Melba Larson Matson, and she is the owner of the Wyatt Earp Birthplace Museum in Monmouth, Illinois. I really wanted to talk to her to see if there was anything that I could learn that I didn't know before, and... Just as I was hoping, I got to learn quite a bit. Melba is probably one of the sweetest women I have ever talked to. Super nice, super knowledgeable, very, very smart woman. And just so you know, I do have a link to a GoFundMe page posted in the show description. This will also be posted other places as well. Because at the end of this interview, you are going to learn this museum is a nonprofit museum. It is ran by volunteers. Melba has gotten to the age where she can't be there anymore. Once you hear what happened to this house, any extra couple bucks you guys could throw to the GoFundMe to help them out with repairs, she tells what happens at the end of this interview, would be extremely helpful, especially when it comes to the preservation of history. It's a a very, very important thing. You know, there's, I mean, obviously there's lots of important things out there, but this is something really, really cool, and it only takes a couple bucks, and that, that couple bucks goes a long way. So it's a fairly new GoFundMe page. They really don't have much money, and they have a, a pretty big goal to fix everything that they need to fix in this place. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. This is Justin, and this is a very, very special interview that I have been super excited about. I have a very special lady with me on the phone. I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. Well, I'm Melba Larson Matson, and I'm a longtime native of Monmouth, Illinois, where Wyatt Earp was born in 1848 on March 19th. And the Earps came to Monmouth, a lot of the Earp families, and they bought property or lived in Monmouth. And uh, Wyatt Earp was born in his aunt's home. It was a rental home that was owned by the Warren County judge, Ivory Quinby. And then his mother and their four children went to his aunt's home. And she had older children, so they could help her during uh, Wyatt's birth time. They lived in this home for two years after the aunt and her husband bought a property nearby. They were very busy in our town. His grandfather was a, a judge, a justice of the peace, I should say. And the Earp brothers, his dad and His brothers were on the Monmouth legislature, and they did a lot in the city. And his dad was uh, became a a constable there, and his brothers were on the Monmouth legislature along with his dad. And when Wyatt was born, his dad had just gotten back from the war, and so at the time he had been injured. And so they needed to stay with the aunt for a while. There were three other sons and one daughter in the family when Wyatt was born. Newton was 11 years old, and he was a half-brother whose mother died after giving birth to 
Mariah, who had also died in her first year. And then there was James, seven years old, Virgil, five years old, and Sister Martha, three years old. And Wyatt was born on the second floor in the front bedroom. And we have a museum there now. And it's nonprofit. People can come and visit. We've had visitors from over 35 foreign countries, and it's been very interesting. My uh, husband was a native from Monmouth also, and his father pointed out to him when he was a little boy that Wider's birthplace was at home at 406 South 3rd Street. He grew up knowing the birthplace was there. And we got on the uh, Monmouth Tourism Council wanting to help bring Monmouth to visitors' eyes so they'll come and visit. And President Reagan also lived in our town for a year going to our public school, the same site that Wyatt Earp went to school in. So that was interesting. The family was in Monmouth after his birth for only two years. Then they went to Pella, Iowa. They were trying to get to California, but they didn't get very far. They stayed in Pella a while because a sister was uh, born in Pella. So they stayed there instead of going on to California. Then they came back to Monmouth and bought property. Monmouth became the Warren County seat of justice in 1831. So by the time that Wider had uh, left Monmouth in 1850, there were about 780 people in town and, and became a site for the railroads, which helped it grow. Two, there were two main streets, a courthouse, a jail, newspaper, hotels, and stores, and livery stables. So there was quite a bit going on in Monmouth. It was early developed. Let's see, the herbs were mentioned. They were the early commissioners of the court records. And you could read a lot about the herbs when you look in the old histories and the recorded uh, papers at the courthouse. So after Wyatt's family moved to Pella, in 1856, they came back to Monmouth because they had heard that there was a public school here. And in Kentucky, where the herbs had come from, his grandfather had been a Methodist preacher and a farmer and a, a teacher. So they were interested in education. And a lot of the herbs families had boys, and they had a lot of fun growing up in town. And they were moving Indians from where they were to another reservation. So they were going through our town, through the one main road. And the the Earp mothers had told the boys that they weren't to play on that big road or the Indians might get them. So they, they would hide under Uncle Francis Earp's porch while the Indians would be going by. He was 11 years old when they went back to Pella, Iowa, 
And his dad became a constable there and provost marshal to sign up soldiers for the war. And Morgan and Warner, two more brothers, were born there. Eventually, a 10-year-old sister, Martha, died in Pella. So the family returned to Monmouth, and they purchased a third boyhood home on South B Street. So they moved a lot in Monmouth and different homes that they purchased. And they went to the Monmouth Public Schools, and another sister was born in Monmouth, Virginia, in 1858. And at the end of that year, the family properties were sold for $1,600. And then they bought half of a city block which would have been four undivided lots. Uh, And then his father became, he was still doing law work, but he also had problems with with liquor. And uh, he was taken to court several times. And so eventually the families moved away from Monmouth. But eventually they got to California and Wyatt uh, helped drive stagecoaches there, and then they came back to Mamas to visit the families and the grandparents. The grandfather had already died by 1868 when they got back to Monmouth, and they they had earlier gone to California with people from Pella, Iowa, in a wagon train, and that's how they got to California eventually. Can I ask you about sure. uh, maybe to describe a little bit about Wyatt's home life growing up? I've read a lot of things about his father. I've read a couple excerpts from journals from members uh, of that wagon party uh, mm-hmm. who describe Nicholas in a pretty interesting way. And I also know that um, Wyatt tried running away from home more than once to join the Civil War. So it kind of made me want to think that after reading about Nicholas, you know, that he was not the nicest guy out there. I guess I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, he had five boys, and I guess he was trying to keep them in line. (laughs) But he did have a, a temper, they were saying according to the women in that wagon train. But I don't know that he was that bad. He became a constable in Lamar, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And then he was appointed to another position. So Wyatt became the constable in his dad's place. So he did did, uh, whatever he could, I guess, to be a good husband. Wyatt was, from what I've heard, he was described as a very, you know, pretty quiet guy that really didn't get along with too many people. And he was also known, you know, to be a pretty tough guy. I heard he was, you know, above average height and he could handle himself pretty well in a fight. Do you think a lot of that was attributed to, you know, his home life and his family life growing up? Well, they were a religious family, really. You know, the grandfather and grandmother were in the church in Kentucky, and they belonged to the Methodist Church in Monmouth. 
I think a lot of those stories might have been changed a little bit. How much do you think the death of Wyatt's first wife and his unborn child affected him personally? Because he did kind of start getting into some trouble after her death. Do you think that was the reason why? Or do you think he was always kind of, you know, prone to being a little bit of a troublemaker? I don't think he was a troublemaker. I think he was despondent after he lost his wife and child. They were having a wonderful life in Lamar, Missouri. They had a farm, and they were just married one year. She died at the end of their first year in childbirth, and he lost everything after that. So then he came back to Illinois along the river, Beardstown and Peoria, and took up jobs wherever he could get them. He was a bouncer mainly, and... He was probably uh, thought he was a owner, brought on a, on one of those large boats that go up and down the river. But if he was, it was just something until he could get going out west, which is what he wanted to do. He didn't really want to be a lawman. He was only lawman for about five years. He was mainly mainly a entrepreneur and. He had all kinds of different occupations in his life. How did his him and his brother, because I believe his brother James was the one who was mentioned the most of being involved with him when he would be getting into trouble there. How, how would they have gotten involved in that? I guess there was a lot of that during that time out mm-hmm. west. <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah. very true. <laughs> <laughs> But he did, uh, he was a church deacon out west. (laughs) Maybe you don't know that. (laughs) I did not know that. That is a very interesting fact right there. They thought he was good at guarding things, so he was guarding the church and being a church deacon at the same time. Uh, With him being, you know, from a religious background and knowing that you know, he's a pretty tough guy and, and all that good stuff. What are is your opinion of the, you know, what's now known as the Herb Vendetta ride? Well, he had to take care of the murderers of his brother. And he was a lawman. He started, a, he gathered the posse and they went out looking for the, the lawbreakers. When they found them, they took care of them right then and there. They didn't bother to take them back to Tombstone. But they had that OK Corral gunfight, and that was October 26, 1881. And that's what made Wider famous, because he outlived all his brothers. So he just continued to be a businessman and, and continued to do what he had to do. And I think... That vendetta ride, I think the people that, that knew the these bad cowboys were lawbreakers. They were like the criminal element, like crime gangs you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think Behan really helped that much either, right? No. I was reading a couple places that, you know, he pretty much knew if he arrested them and took them back that nothing was going to happen. Yeah, Behan was in with the other side. He was friends of the cowboys. He wasn't really 
a good sheriff. <laughs> that's a uh, that's about exactly what I was reading about. They said he was the the classic political crony who always had a good joke and a cigar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he play he played that role pretty well, and it, it was really interesting finding out the after the shootout of the OK Corral that the the McLowry brothers were. You know, some people still kind of debate them as being just friends with the wrong people and at the wrong place at the wrong time. Do you have any opinion on that? Well, they had that hearing, you know, mm-hmm. after the shootout, and the judge said that the the Earps had done the right thing, and they were always trying to do the right thing, <laughs> trying to clean up the West, and they really did. And the yeah. Governor even got involved with how bad things were in Tombstone. I found that really interesting, too. I think I read somewhere at one point, the yeah, I mean, it was pretty much after the fact, but the the, uh, the president at the time actually threatened martial law in Tombstone mm-hmm. if they didn't if they didn't settle down. But I think after at that point, it was a little. It was a little past. I think it was after the Earps had already left. Mm-hmm. Virgil had been the deputy marshal, and then he was shot after the OK Corral. He was maimed with his arm, and then Morgan was murdered, killed, and yeah. while he was shooting pool. So it was really tragic what happened. Of course. The shootout was because you weren't supposed to have guns in town. You're mm-hmm. supposed to check them at the bars, and the cowboys had guns, so the Earps went to disarm them. And when Virgil told them to, you know, hold up your arms, and, and the cowboys clicked their guns, and Wyatt and one of the cowboys got off the first shot. It ended up Ike Clanton ran away, and so did another cowboy. So that left three cowboys that ended up losing their lives. Yeah, they just didn't want to give up their guns. <laughs> That's one thing I find so interesting is how, because I believe one of uh, uh, one of the older McLowry brothers was a lawyer from Texas. And yes. he, he eventually came into town and then they filed those murder charges, I think, against the third brothers and Doc Holliday. Mm-hmm. I, I am totally curious because I, I did cover um, I did a three part series or I think a two or three part series on a Doc Holliday. I'm curious to know what's your opinion of old Doc Holliday? What, what I actually not not so much him, but him and Wyatt's relationship. Well, nobody liked Doc. <laughs> except Wyatt <laughs> and that was because Doc saved his life one time Wyatt was going to get shot by all these outlaws and Doc came up and stopped that so Wyatt always appreciated Doc and he stood up for him and was friends with him to the end I've heard a lot of mixed things about Josephine Marcus um, mm-hmm Especially in the later years, I've heard a lot of talk about how she had quite a bit of a gambling problem and um, that, you know, Wyatt, you know, stuck it out and stuck with her. And 
you know, he was always investing and, and stuff like that and was actually doing fairly well for a time. Yes, and they had a home in Vidal, Arizona, where they lived from about 21 to 28. Wyatt died the next year, but they enjoyed that home and they were prospecting. He had a mine there, and so they were enjoying their last years. But then the last year when Wyatt was really ill and the year he died, I guess she did a lot of gambling then and afterwards, too, after he died. But Wyatt made a lot of money up in Alaska. Do you have any information on maybe some of his um, legal troubles later on in life? I don't know what those would have been. The account of uh, in the late 1800s of him judging that boxing match. Well... And the winner was the one that was unconscious on the floor. But it turned out why it was right. That's that's kind of that's kind of what I was hearing, and that's that's the first time people really started knowing who Wyatt Earp was and Mm -hmm. um, started digging up stuff from his past and his Mm -hmm. you know past troubles with the law and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Bat Masterson, you know, is from Illinois, and uh, he wrote about Wyatt and said without a gun in his hand, Wyatt again and again went up to dangerous outlaws with guns in their hands and and asked them to give up their guns, and they did. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It was just really, really interesting, and especially in his later years when he started going around the the Hollywood lots. Oh, yeah. Where they were making the cowboy movies. Yes, and they were his pallbearers. The (laughs) one that was with him when he died, that uh, newspaper reporter, Mitchell, his granddaughter wrote about Wyatt and his wife and... uh, We met her out there in Tombstone. We met a lot of these authors in Tombstone. Very interesting, all the books they've written. And they're on our board, our nonprofit board of trustees, too. Do you think, I don't want to say Wyatt helped form his legend, you know, as a legendary lawman, because like me and you both know, he wasn't a lawman for very long. I don't even think he put on a badge after Tombstone. Do you think Wyatt had anything to do with that legend of his, or was it all other people's narratives? I think it was other people, because they said Wyatt never talked hardly (laughs) at all. (laughs) That's exactly what I read from Bat Masterson, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That quote that he had about Wyatt not talking, I I was like, I love that, because that that, from what I've learned about Wyatt Earp, that sounds about right. (laughs) Do you think Wyatt was, towards the end of his life, was bothered by maybe some of the fake stories and a lot of the stuff that had been told about him? Oh, yes. He was very bothered by it. That's why he kept going to the Hollywood people. He wanted to get his story told right, and he was always... He wrote some papers for the Arizona Historical Society telling about his life, and they've been published. And he had one chapter describing Monmouth and his his uh, day of his birth and all about the doctor uh, being 
uh, his aunt went to get the doctor, and it was starting to snow, and the snow was up to her knees when she got the doctor back to the house. And it was very interesting how he described Monmouth and the house and and everything that happened that day. That's really <laughs> And how his dad named him Wyatt Barry Stapp, or because his army captain lived nearby, and his name was Wyatt Barry Stapp. So that's how Wyatt got that name. He kept wanting to get the story correct all of his life. And it's a shame that I believe him and that, the very first author, agreed to a long-form narrative in the form of a book, and I think he only interviewed Wyatt, I think it was like two or three times. Well, they had a lot of interactions, writing back and forth. Yeah, because I heard uh, Mm -hmm. after Bat Masterson moved out to the East Coast, he was a pretty big, Bat was a pretty big writer. I think he ended up being a sports writer um, out on the East Coast, which I thought was super interesting. Mm -hmm. But they found all these letters from Bat to Wyatt, but I don't think they really found many letters from Wyatt to to Bat Masterson. So they were like... (laughs) You know, did, did Wyatt ever even write him back, or did they call on the telephone, or, or what was the deal? I don't know. And they yeah. were from Illinois, and Wild Bill Hickok from Illinois. I try to get the most interesting interesting people, and I don't know, Wyatt Earp, there was just something about him. I, You know, reading a lot of accounts, I also read that after Brother Morgan was killed. I've tried to corroborate this information because I've only read it from a couple sources, but they say that Wyatt went and lit this huge bonfire in the middle of town and uh, grabbed one of the cowboys as a human shield and started going around Tombstone, kicking in doors, looking for Clanton and some of the other cowboys. I don't know about that. (laughs) It sounds more like Doc. (laughs) To be honest with you, it it truly does. It truly Mm -hmm. does. And especially because I also heard that um, Doc and Morgan were actually pretty good friends as well. But I'm not, you know. I'm sure the stories I heard, nobody liked Wyatt. I mean, (laughs) nobody liked. Doc, except Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty much all that I heard too, and I thought that was I thought that was pretty fitting how those two got along so well, and I love how Wyatt always, you know, there was a lot of of articles saying, you know, if Wyatt just would have just totally not e- ever even talked to Doc Holliday, he probably would have gotten a lot further uh, in his political career. But Wyatt was one of those guys that was just loyal. You know, Doc did save his life. So mm-hmm. it was really cool to, to start learning about Wyatt, I suppose. Yes, and I don't like to hear things that are bad about Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. I just don't know if they're true. Yeah. That's one of the main reasons I do this is to try to try to separate the truth from myth. And um, mm-hmm. you actually today just helped help do a lot of that. And you know, I try to corroborate all my information, and you you corroborated quite a bit of it. And actually, I was I got to bring this up again. Uh, we we had talked about it a little bit before recording Nicholas Earp having a little bit of trouble with the law himself. 
and mm-hmm. he was uh, at one point in time tried and convicted of bootlegging. I didn't realize uh, at that point in time that people were were actually getting tried and convicted for bootlegging. Well, our town was very Presbyterian. The college was Presbyterian, and we had lots of churches. It was a real religious place. Of course, they wouldn't like any bootlegging. (laughs) I could definitely see that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I have listeners literally all over the world, and I would love for you to promote your museum. Just tell us, you know, any thoughts on Wyatt Earp as a person, as a man, and of his legend. And then I I would love for you to tell everybody how to find your museum. Okay, well, we had Hugh O'Brien come for Wyatt's uh, birthday one year. And he was 83 years old, and it was a real event for our town. We had the the mayor and everybody taking part. <laughs> and it's a nonprofit museum operated by volunteers, and it's been going since 1986. We formed the corporation with ERP families from all over the country who had been told where Wyatt was born and what house and and they had taken pictures and and his uncle Alfred was four years younger and he was telling people where Wyatt Earp was born so the Earp families had no question about the birthplace site but if you get on like Wikipedia or some of these other places they're saying there's a question about the location and so that's there's no question about the location to the Earp families. And they're the ones that we went by, and we used records, and we talked to university professors and showed them the research. And the state sent the application into the National Register. So it's on the National Register of Historic Places listed under Pike Sheldon House. Those were the builders. The original house was a two-story, and that was built by Pike. And Sheldon added on the one-story addition, and his name was Sheldon. And so the National Register wasn't wanting to put birthplaces on so much in the later years, so they didn't want to list it under wider birthplace. So we have uh, different people that didn't know where he was born because townspeople have different stories. There were a lot of different herbs living all over the town. So it was kind of confusing to them which one was the house. But the Illinois State Historical Society Journal put on their outside of their journal that the big granite stone donated by them in St. Elf Railroad in the 1950s was going to be placed at the house where Wyatt Earp was born, 406 South 3rd Street. And that's the house where we have the the museum, the birthplace museum. There shouldn't have been any problem recognizing (laughs) where the location was. (laughs) But that's a small town, 10,000 people then, I guess. So the stories are still circulating. Where was he born? (laughs) 
Of course. We've proven it, and it's listed by the state and National Register, so that's been taken care of. And then we, my husband and I got to be too old to stay there and work with it anymore, so we were renting it out to a Iraqi soldier who was back from the war, and he was going to rent it, and then there was an option. He could buy it if he took the option, but he never took the option. But he thought he had bought it because he signed the rental paper that said he could have the option to buy. So he wanted to make the house look like it was a 1848 house, so he took out everything, the electricity, the furnace, the appliances, just wrecked it. Stole the guns that we had on display and have been donated for display. So we ended up in jail for a couple months. So we have the house just like it used to be in the 1840s. No (laughs) sewer. The sewer quit because the original sewer pipes were corrugated wax paper that had been rolled. And they went for a block, and then we had a that taken care of with some plastic pipes, but they didn't last. So we have a, about a $7,500 sewer replacement bill we could maybe raise some money for. So we have nothing there. We did get some uh, electrical pipes repaired, but the new furnace has not been installed. He took out all the furnace ducts, everything, piled everything in one room. So it's been a real job for the people in town that are volunteers to try to get it back. So it's been open now one Sunday afternoon a month, and it's hard since we went through that (laughs) to get it back again. But we've got it painted so it looks nice, and we have an adjoining OK Corral replica lot, so you can see where the original gunfight started between these two buildings. 30 foot between the buildings, and then it moved into the street, according to Wyatt and his stories he wrote for the Historical Society in Arizona. So we've had many people from all over the world come to visit, and it's been very rewarding. I would have to agree. That is so interesting and so cool that you guys take so much pride in this. I admire it, to be perfectly honest with you, because not not many people have an appreciation for history anymore. And I'm glad to see, I mean, especially people who are volunteering. I think that's just absolutely amazing. Yes, it's wonderful. And we had our family members in Galesburg that took part, and they were proud of their cousin. And it's been interesting to talk to the herbs, and we're still getting information from Herb, and we've had people stop in from all different states, and it's fun to visit with them. Of course, we're not there anymore, but the townspeople are, so I hear from them. (laughs) So in closing, I guess, for somebody who knows Wyatt Earp extremely well, what is your personal opinion on the man? He was a rugged individual who helped tame the West and helped our country grow and to become a a democracy. I agree with you. And I would Mm -hmm. now like to, uh, I would like to thank you very, very much, Melba, for, for giving me your time 
And um, well, thank you. I enjoyed uh, it. Mm-hmm. I love I love talking about this stuff, and and you are a plethora of knowledge. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I absolutely love learning everything, and and I definitely learned a few things today. So again, I would oh, like goodness. to thank you very very much. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, you have a good evening. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You too. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. Bye.